So I'm here today with Sean Blanc, who is a full-time creator on the internet. He writes for his site, which is seanblanc.net. That's spelled S-H-A-W-N-B-L-A-N-C.net. He works on two other sites, uh, Tools and Toys and The Sweet Setup. He does a podcast called The Weekly Briefly, which I think is on hiatus at the moment. And uh, he's written a book called Delight is in the Details. Most recently, Sean has developed an outline, or excuse me, an online learning aid called The Focus Course, which aims to help people find focus to do their best work in the age of distraction. So thank you so much for being on the show, Sean. Yeah, my pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. Is that a good summation of what you do with your life right now? Yeah, I think you got it. (laughs) I tried to accumulate everything and I, I didn't want to miss anything. But the reason that you're on the show is because you did not do all those things as recently as four years ago, I think, or thereabouts. Yeah, about four and a half years ago. Which I, is it was just SeanBlanc.net. That's all there was. Pretty amazing, actually, to think that you've done all those additional things and the fact that you've managed to turn SeanBlanc.net into part of your full time job too is pretty yeah, crazy. It's crazy. So that's why we're here to talk today. And awesome. uh, what I've been doing with my guests so far is asking them some origin story questions, because I think a lot of times people find you or find somebody on the internet and they start reading their stuff and think, this is really cool. I like this person. This is really interesting, but they don't really know how that person got to the place where they're at. So where'd you grow up? I I admit, I don't even know. Well, Castle Rock, Colorado, actually, it's a little bit South of Denver. It kind of was a suburb, but now it's huge. Okay. So it's grown a lot. It's grown a lot, yeah. When I was living there, I moved away in 2001, but when I was growing up there, like in the 90s, it was the fastest growing county in America for a while. It's was, it was crazy. And what makes it so fast growing? Like, what is appealing about the place? Well, Castro, well, Colorado, I mean, so it's around the front range. So if you're familiar with Colorado, like it's, it's right there. You look out, you know, depending on where your house is, you look out one direction, you're looking west, and it's just the mountains, and it's just gorgeous. And so you can kind of see the whole front range for the Rocky Mountains. And then Castle Rock's right in the middle of Denver and Colorado Springs. So it's really like a lot of commuters live there. A lot of the Denver Broncos, Denver Nuggets, uh, Colorado Rockies live um, kind of on the north end of town. There's like some subdivisions and and private areas up there. Um, Really, really great school district. Douglas County's got a a fantastic uh, public school system. So there was a lot lot of people moving there because, you know, it's Colorado. It's gorgeous. and. Castle Rock was a nice place to live. And you grew up there. So until you said 2001 is when you left. So you basically spent your childhood there. Yeah, I was uh, 20 when I moved away. Okay. So you were kind of a fully, well, I won't say fully formed, but you were an adult when you left. So <laughs> maybe Depend- I, I still had bleached blonde hair, <laughs> you know, on my way out of town. So I don't well, know it was early 2000s. I mean, that, <laughs> that's level, kind of how things were back then. Yeah. You could tell your kids that's just the way it was. <laughs> so what did your parents do? They, uh, they both, they owned a retail flower shop in, in, in Castle Rock. So it was called uh, Castle Pines Florist. And it was a little like my mom was a wedding planner, did a lot of wedding flowers, um, and stuff like that. And then there was a greenhouse as well, kind of on the side. And my dad ran the greenhouse. Um, so he's kind of like a gardener, botanist, uh, sort of a person. And then kind of what's, what's interesting is they sold the business, sorry, like total sidebar. They sold the business, um, but you know, kept the property, just sold the the flower shop business itself, and those people ended up moving. So my dad still got the property, so he moved back in and uh, turned it into like a consignment, um, sort of like not a, it's not a pawn shop. It was like a, a consignment store. So basically, people like bring their furniture, they drop it off, and then my dad sells it for them, and then they split it fifty fifty. Um, 
which is just like hilarious because it's like exactly like if you knew my dad that gets just like the perfect perfect things so he just deals with people all the time he's just got stuff in this in this retail space and he just like gets to fix it up because my dad's like such a like a collector he likes treasure stuff and so uh so it's just it's just fun it's been cool to see that evolve that is really interesting that he managed to find his way there after doing something different previously maybe i need to get him on the show man <laughs> And what else? I would I would love to listen. I would listen to that. One. Well, I, you know, you never know. I I might actually hit you up about that. Uh, and what is really interesting now to me, I realize I have a very small sample size. You are the third out of three people who has had entrepreneurial parents that I've I've talked to so far. And were the other two people entrepreneurs themselves? Yes, they yeah, also that's... have have done their thing, and that's one of the things I'm really hoping to learn from this show is kind of what people who get out there and and kind of break off and do their own thing what they have in common with their parents and where well, there's a whole from. book about this. It's a uh, rich, rich dad, poor dad is, is about this topic. And it's something that Jason uh, Fried talks about a, a quite a bit, the base camp guy. Um, and the kind of the idea would be, you know, rich dad, poor dad, basically the, I mean, I haven't read it in years, but the, the one little idea that I do remember from the book is that um, when you're around the kitchen table, like the conversation that happens around the dinner table for a family as, as kids are growing up is going to be huge for basically shaping their worldview. Right. And a lot of that has to do if you got, uh, parents that are entrepreneurs that are, you know, basically good with, with making money and, and then reinvesting that and using money to make money, those kinds of conversations, just cause it's, it's, you know, it's going to be part of your life. So like my parents, they were small business owners. So we had lots of conversations just about, you know, like hiring people and books and budgeting and, you know, like Valentine's day was massive. Like that one day, February 14th paid for all the operating expenses for January, February and March for the whole business. Like, like February 14th was huge, right? Just covered it. So like you just learn these little things about business. And I think you just get more comfortable with the idea of like, Hey, I've got something I'm going to ask someone to, to trade this for some money. And maybe I can do that a lot and you get comfortable with that. And um, so I think it's super common and that's what, uh, Jason talks about a lot with, uh, base camp stuff. He's like, you learn uh, making money is a skill like playing the piano is a skill. He actually just wrote an article on medium. I think that was like the exact title of the article. And it, it was basically about, you know, when you're a bootstrapped company and you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to make money, you have to get good at making money versus like when you're VC funded, you have to get good at spending it. And those are two very different skills. Um, and obviously like he's of the, the bootstrap boots, bootstrapped camp. And that's the camp that I kind of like to be in as well as is, uh, like I got to be profitable from day one and make sure that I'm, I'm always in the black with everything I do and, and, and things like that. So that is really cool. And I think everything you said is really applicable to this, especially this modern era where it's so much easier to get something started. Uh, than that used to be. I mean, your parents obviously had a high capital cost. Uh, they had this business. They had to buy product and, and do all that. But a lot of the things that you do, you don't have quite the same requirements. But uh, nevertheless, like you said, it's still a skill that you have to develop. And and yeah, that okay, cool. This is good. This is going in a good direction. And we will definitely get into what you do now and how you do that. But I am kind of curious. Growing up, then in this entrepreneurial family, what was your vision of what you would do? Quote: When you grew up. <laughs> Um, I was going to be a youth pastor. So like I graduated uh, high school and I went to Bible college up in Denver for about a year. And, um, the, the Bible school wasn't for me. Like, um, 
mostly just the kind of the environment that I was in, a lot of the people that I was meeting there, I just felt like this wasn't the best place that I wanted to get training for my career. And it wasn't like, I don't mean that in any sort of negative way or anti-religion way whatsoever. Just, I was there and it was not the, not, I wanted something that was way, way, way more intense. And, um, you know, and I, I kind of look back now and I'm going, I, I was probably just kind of zealous and, you know, young kid. Um, and there's actually probably a lot of value that I could have gotten there if I had just been a little bit more mature. Um, so I ended up discovering this internship that was out in uh, Kansas City that was part of a church um, where I could play the drums and do some traveling and stuff like that. So I ended up dropping out of college to come do this internship and ended up uh, really connecting with a lot of the people that were out here. I loved the kind of the traveling gig and, and we would go about once a month. We're going to different cities and did that for several years. I had a lot of fun doing that. So I ended up, so that was kind of like my plan was I was going to do yeah, I was going to be youth pastor, but then that didn't quite work out. So I was going to be, um, you know, a drummer. Uh, we did several albums and, and used to do lar- uh, large events and, you know, 20, 30,000 people events and stuff like that in Kansas City. Um, so I had a lot of fun doing that. And then I, I'm assuming you're probably, you want me to like keep telling the story? Where- sure. Actually, yeah, because I was just going to ask you. So then what happened next? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but I think you got design at some point, right? Yeah. So I bought a Mac laptop to do, uh, to run music. So we're doing the drums and I was the drummer and we started doing loops. We started playing with, a, like a metronome click track. We all had in-ear monitors for everything that we did. So we had a metronome, we were doing, you know, loops and synth and a lot of arrangements with the stuff that we were doing. You're doing so, all that live. Yeah, we would do a lot of it live. Yeah. That's really impressive for that time, especially because I think it's become more and more common to see that, but I've got to believe you were pretty ahead of the curve at that point. Yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, this was 2002, 2001, 2002 that we're doing this. It's funny, like it started. <laughs> um, so it's, sorry, this is a funny story. So it started. No, you got to tell it. Go for it. it. It's, it's probably, it's funny to me. It's probably not going to be funny. To, if I can tell it right, maybe it'll be funny to you guys. Um, so what happened was we were like at a friend's house and, you know, like musicians, just always hang out together. It's like, you know, if you're one musician, you know, 500 other musicians and you're always at someone's house, like jamming out or listening to music and, you know, eating chips and salsa. So we're like at my friend's house and he's got like this new, um, so I'm a drummer. So I don't know all the technical terms, but it was one of those, like, it was like a module rack that, uh, you know, like he had plugged in. Cause you know, everyone, every other house that, you know, like someone's got a studio in their basement. So we're at my friend's house. He's got a studio in his basement. He's got the keyboard, he's got the rack hooked up to it. And it's like all these really, really awesome, like sounds like loops and stuff like that. And so we're like, oh man, we want to use some of these, uh, you know, in, in some of our sets. Can we do it? So we recorded like these onto a, like a, a CD 20 minute, uh, loop, uh, of, uh, this, this stuff. And so that was like our original, like playing with a track was we had like a 20 minute long, just background loop that w- we used a discman, like on our sets. So we would, we would get ready to start the song. Like the keyboard player had the disc man, like on top of the keyboard, like hit play, like, you know, and it would, it would play, you know, this is before MP3, anything like play the, like the track would start going and then we would all come in. And then, um, so we're doing that one time. That was like our rig. We're at like a conference and there's like 15,000 people were playing. And the bass is so much that it's like skipping the background track that we're trying to use on the CD. So I had to turn off the, the, the CD player and, and you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, play without our click track and, you know, play without the metronome stuff and whatever. So we ended up obviously going a little bit more advanced and, uh, you know, using Reason and, and Live, which are some um, 
uh, you know, Mac software stuff and had MIDI controllers. And so I had some foot pedal MIDI controllers and, and drum MIDI controllers and stuff like that. And it was super a lot of fun. So that was like how I got a Mac computer. And then I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, you own a Mac, you should get Photoshop, right? And so I started like fiddling around in graphic design and stuff like that and really fell in love with doing that. Um, so I ended up kind of self-teaching uh, myself Photoshop and uh, InDesign ended up stopping to play the drums to take over and run the in-house design team and, and was the marketing director and, and creative director for several years. And so that's when I started writing because I had no idea what I was doing. I've been a drummer for years and years and years. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing related to marketing, branding or anything like that. So I was writing about this stuff, the tools that I was using, the software I was using, kind of my, um, like philosophy of design. As I'm learning this stuff, I would synthesize my ideas, write about it. That's kind of how Chamblanc.net got started. Um, and then that site slowly built up some traffic. And then, um, you know, long story short, I kind of started selling a few ads, uh, ended up quitting my job to, to take the site full time when my wife and I decided we wanted to start having kids is sort of the, I mean, and that's the, like, whatever, that's the U-turn, right? So I'm sure we'll, we'll jump into that more. Oh yeah, definitely. That's, that's totally it. And I'm hearing you describe the story that way. And, realizing that the site kind of got started because of you kind of obsessing about the stuff that you were using and your tools and, and all that. I'm kind of wondering, is it wrong to draw a, draw a parallel between your dad and what he does with his business and his feeling for physical objects to what you feel for the things that you use to do your work? Oh man. We're getting, we're, is that we're, crazy? Am I getting too deep here? <laughs> do you feel like you're lying on a couch in a psychiatrist's I, I office? Let's, let's, let's talk about my father. <laughs> You know, that's, that's actually a brilliant parallel. I've never even, uh, never even thought about it, but now that I, you know, think about it, um, probably there's probably a lot, you know, and I think on the other side, I try to, um, you know, I try to declutter as much of my house as possible because my dad is a collector. He's got, um, also, you know, like he, he's got a stamp collection. He's got a really cool wooden box collection. Um, he has a Russian dolls the, you know, like the, the big one inside the smaller one inside the da, 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 right. Where you take out the, you know what I'm talking yep, about? Totally. The Russian dolls. Yeah. yeah so I, he's got a whole bunch of called, those. But I, I don't know what they're called either. They're probably just called Russian dolls. Um, so Matryoshka a, dolls. That's what it is. There you go. Yeah. Matryoshka. <laughs> well, there you go. So he has all sorts of this stuff. And, um, I mean, it's not, I mean like it's, it's all, it's all clean and, and organized and it's on the shelves and it's very meticulous. Um, and I've kind of like gone the other way. I'm like, I don't, I try to like keep stuff, you know, get rid of as much as possible and not collect stuff. But yet, you know, Eric, you bring up the software stuff and yeah, I'm, I'm very, I have a strong affinity towards awesome software and awesome tools. So, uh, there, I'm sure there's some overlap there for sure. Yeah, it does make sense. It's very interesting. And I, I, I like getting into where people come from, but, uh, I definitely am not trying to put you too much on the spot. So, oh, it's fine. <laughs> I, I got, I'm, I like being on the spot. All right. It sounds good. Perfect. So, you're doing this creative director thing and you're running a team, you're doing the design stuff. Were you enjoying your day-to-day in that job when you quit? I mean, that's kind of a weird question because you quit for a reason, but I mean, overall, were you happy? Yes and no. Um, I was in the role as the marketing director for four years, I think, three and a half years. Um, and I loved it. It was extremely, extremely challenging. So it was for, you know, large nonprofit organization. Um, I like to joke that, you know, when you work for a big nonprofit, it's like you kind of have the worst of both worlds in that you don't have any money like a nonprofit. But then if you're working for a big nonprofit, you also have all the corporate 
red tape of like your, your standard, you know, bureaucratic uh, setup. And so it's like, you got red tape and no budget. Um, so a lot of challenges. We did a lot of creative, uh, a lot of creative work and we had such a great team. I had a lot of fun doing that job. Um, had some amazing people to work with and I loved the organization. I loved the church that we were part of. I loved, um, you know, my managers, my bosses, my other, uh, you know, department heads that I worked with and, and stuff like that. We had a bunch of internal cl- customers, like 35 internal customers. Um, so a lot of, lot of people that we worked with and super, super great. Um, but yeah, towards the end, I was doing 70 to 80 hours a week, which was, which was fine. You know, I mean, a lot of people, they, they you know, you, you work 40 hours to 50 hours at your regular job. And then you've got 10, 20, 30 hours that, that you might volunteer or work with, you know, these other, you know, interests that you like to do. So for me, it was just all lumped in like my work and my volunteer stuff. Um, you know, like we did a lot of inner city stuff and, and, and things like that, um, was all just kind of lumped into one thing. But the 70 to eight hours was getting to be too much when my wife and I were like, Hey, we're ready to have kids. And I was, so one, I was like, I want to be home for, for my kids. I want to be around. I want to be very present as a dad beyond just, you know, like a normal sane 40 hour a week job. Like I just wanted to be at home a lot. And then two, I'd kind of been writing Chamblanc.net on the side for a while. And kind of in the back of my head, I was going, Hey, I bet I can turn this into a business. Like that would be cool. And it was sort of like this challenge, this adventure. Um, I really felt like I had a lot to contribute, a lot of value to add, uh, had built up a, a relatively small, but, but, uh, engaged readership, um, at the time. I think it was about 4,000 people were reading the site on a regular basis. So nothing huge, but nothing, you know, it wasn't trivial. And I was like, I bet I could get some of these people to sign up and, and you know, give me a couple bucks a month. And so, so I, I basically decided to quit, uh, to quit my role as the marketing director and basically start blogging for a living. Uh, and, and it worked. And it's and, super and coincidental that I'm talking to you because you just retweeted a link to your post, The Jolt which yes. you wrote this summer. And I think there you just you retweeted it today. And I thought, huh, that's interesting timing right there it, because you get into kind of some of this stuff. Exactly. That's exactly the story. Yeah. It was that, um, it was, it was basically the, I, I mean, I remember very, very clearly it was that week between Christmas and new year's, uh, where like, it's kind of like, that's like your, I just love that week cause nothing's happening. And the whole world is just kind of on pause, uh, because you got these two giant holidays, right? you know, on bookend. And so everyone's just kind of taking time off and relaxing. And so I usually try to shut everything down that I'm doing and, and just kind of, um, you know, just kind of you know, rethink and, and what, what am I gonna do next year and stuff like that. And so my wife and I, we had been in Colorado for Christmas. We came home, uh, just after Christmas and we were home during that week and just kind of been through some, uh, some personal stuff that was, uh, you know, just really challenging for, for us. And it just kind of like, like my whole life just kind of slowed down as a result of kind of some of this, uh, just some family tragedy, um, things and just was like giving me the clarity that go to go, Hey, yeah, I think I want to quit my job and and do this blog thing. I think I want to, a huge thing was, I was like, I want to lead by example for my kids, you know, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning with, um, entrepreneurial people who have entrepreneurial parents and there's kind of this, this trait and, and I was going, I want to lead, uh, an example for my kids that one day when they grow up, if they want to do something that's crazy, that's risky, that's, you know, maybe stupid or whatever, that they can do it, that it's okay. And if it fails, who cares? The fact that they were able to, to pursue their dreams and take a risk. And I wanted to lead by example. And like the first, the first thing was 
well, here's, here's an option. I can, I can quit my job and start this blog and, and see what happens. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. It's impressive to me, especially because, I mean, now it's more common. I think there are a variety of people who have followed this model where you've got paying members on a site and, and you provide content either behind a paywall or just basically people are supporting what you do and it's open and free to everyone. But in 2011, when you did this, I'm not, I don't think I knew of anybody else who had so publicly said, this is what I'm going to do as my full-time job. If you want to support me, these are the ways you can do it. Um, unless I'm wrong. I mean, I, I, it, it didn't seem very common to me at the time because I really yeah. remember this. I was reading you before then and I remember seeing your post when you announced it and it was a surprise to me. It was. I didn't know. That I, I can. When I look back, I'm sure that there were more people, but the only people I could think of that were writing on the internet for themselves as their full-time job was, it was Jason Kotke, John Gruber, and Heather Armstrong. And these are like, I mean, just super talented, super prolific, um, people with huge, huge websites. And I was like, I'm not like, I don't have any of the talent that they have. I don't have nearly the audience that they have, but I was like, I know it can be done. And I knew like when I, you know, did a bunch of research, I looked up like a lot of when Kotke took his site, Kotke.org full time, you know, he had this little membership drive. He actually had a party at his house and, and like a tip jar, like a physical tip jar and people could give him money. And then he had some, some micro patronage stuff on his site. And then similar, like when John Gruber took daring fireball full time, he had, uh, this membership where you would get the RSS feed for daring fireball, um, as your membership perk. Otherwise you had to go onto the website and, and check the website. And so that, and then, um, uh, like Heather Armstrong, I know like her site, I think is predominantly ad supported, and basically, like these were the only people I knew that were writing full time. I was like, "Well, hey, you know, like I don't need a lot of money. I live in Kansas City. The cost of living is low here, um, and I knew like Marco Arment was making his his living doing Instapaper. He had like a dollar a month uh, subscription if you so you could pay Instapaper. So I was like, I'm just gonna charge a couple bucks a month and let's see, you know, see what happens. And so it was crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is crazy and very prescient because I think increasingly this is is viable because people are willing to pay for quality content. It is. It's you know, it's interesting. If I, this is a really interesting topic. I don't I don't know if there's an answer, but I've thought I've often wondered if I were to do that same, if I were just to repeat my quit my job, going to blog for a living. Hey, why don't you support me? Um, like I did in 2011, if I were to do that today, I honestly don't know if it would work. I think that there was sort of this perfect storm of like, holy crap, no one's doing this. And, and sort of like the, cause I, I said, I only had a few thousand people that were reading my site. And, you know, I think I had like 10 to 15%. Um, I got, I, I, if, I mean, the numbers might be wrong, if, but if I remember correctly, it was about 4,000 people that were subscribed to my RSS feed. And I had, uh, 400 people sign up to be a member on the first day. And that was kind of like, for me, like, holy cow, this worked. And I, I look back, I'm like, that's a 10% conversion rate. That that's, that's really, really, really good. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it would, if it would be the same if I were to do it today. Like there's, there was a nobility to it. There was like a kind of like a, well, not nobility, but, um, like something like, crazy. Like there, it was novel. There was, it was sort of like this novel thing. Very, very few people were doing it. So I felt like I got to, to jump on that and more people were interested in it. Whereas nowadays, if I were to do that, there are more people that are making living online. It's not as rare. 
uh, more people are doing the micro patronage stuff. And so I, I think it would be more of a challenge for me. Um, but yet then I look at a lot of these people that are doing, you know, Patreon and a lot of people are making, you know, they're, they're doing it. They're, you know, Jonathan Mann and, and my friend Aaron Mankey and Mike Vardy. A lot of people are, are doing their independent stuff through micro patronage combined with, you know, sponsorships here and there. And, uh, so I, I, I don't know. Well, I, I can definitely see what you're saying. And I think in a way, the word that kept coming to my mind, because we hear it so much in VC funding, whatever stuff is that you were kind of like the unicorn of uh, self-publishing online. Like you were this, you were definitely somebody I think that people would tweet about and write about and say, hey, Sean Block's doing this thing, uh, you know, basically like seeing a unicorn in the forest or something like this is really weird. Wow. He actually quit his full-time job. He wrote about the whole experience and he's saying, this is what I want to do. If you like what I do, give me money. And that was definitely rare at the time. And yeah, I could see what you're saying that it, it would be a lot harder now. And I, I think that something that Ben Thompson has written about a lot and actually um, hoping to have him on the show, he said he'd be willing to appear. You have to find a niche, I think, to stand out now today. And I think you've kind of actually managed to maybe evolve in that direction. And we'll definitely get there with all these other things you work on. But yeah, I don't know if you could do it. I, I think you could. I think your site is, is good enough and interesting enough, but uh, obviously you don't have to worry about that since you're uh, a lot more established now. So that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, so you, you do this, you launch this thing. Your wife is, it sounds like, totally on board with it, gets where you're coming from, and I'm sure is glad to have you around more, which is, is great. So what does your life look like once you start doing this compared to the 70 to 80 hours a week you were putting in in the full-time day job? Oh, it's so weird. Like that first day. Um, so the last day of my day job was March 31st. And then technically like the first day of my, you know, my blogging career was April 1st, but it was a, I think it was a Saturday or Friday. And I was like, I'm taking the, I'm at least going to give myself the weekend. So, so my first day on the job was at Monday, April 4th. And I like just walked into the office at, you know, 7am. I have a, um, you know, we had a room that was my office and I like, I made some coffee. I go in the office and I sit down. I'm like, well, I guess I got to write something. <laughs> like I literally, like I just had no idea. Like, I'm like, here I am like ready to work and ready to write all day. And I have no idea what I'm going to write about. Cause um, I'm assuming previously you had just kind of written whenever you had inspiration, like whenever yeah, something kinda, came to mind. Yeah. And I, which was usually, you know, um, I was probably putting in 10 to 20 hours a week doing the site. So I was doing my 70 to 80 hours a week with the marketing stuff and an additional 10 to 20 hours doing my site on the side. Cause I was really enjoying writing, building the audience and stuff like that. Um, and you know, had a, you know, really enjoyed communicating with people and, and building that conversation and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was just kind of like, there was no pressure. Like I didn't have anyone, I could just publish when I wanted and, and publish when I ha- was done writing a piece or whatever it was. And there was no, not really a schedule, not a lot of consistency other than just like the consistency of like, I was putting stuff out there on a regular basis, but it wasn't necessarily, you couldn't count on every Monday or every Wednesday or every day or whatever like that. So I come in and it's Monday morning. I'm like, okay, well today's my first day on the job. I have like all these people that are now paying me to write for them. And what the heck am I going to write about? And I should probably already have something ready to publish by now. Why, you know, and um, so it took me a while to kind of get ahead of my publishing, um, uh, you know, get, get into a rhythm, figure it out, get some ideas and even just get, um, get comfortable with the fact that, um, you know, like just showing up on a consistent basis, it's, 
like I want to have stuff out there regularly, but there's also a lot, a lot, a lot of behind the scenes stuff and knowing that that's critically important as well, that there's, there's value to both. And a lot of times the behind the scenes stuff is where the, the, the deepest work comes from. And that's where the most important work happens. And then publishing is just kind of the outflow of that. And I used to think that publishing was everything. And I'm going, actually, there's, there's a, an entirely other side to that coin that's just as valuable, which is the you know, clear thinking and researching and reading and you know, ideation and all of this stuff and, and building relationships. And there's a, a lot, a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes as well that is as just, just as important. And so for me now, like I've kind of, I have a little bit more lax publishing schedule on my own site, but I feel like the work that I'm doing is it's definitely changed over the last several years. And, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like I'm, I'm doing some really great work. I love the writing that's coming out. Um, and I've got a team of people that are helping me with tools and toys and the suite setup. And, you know, we do a lot of consistent stuff over there every day. Um, so it's, 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 it's definitely different, but it's, it's, it's fun. Something I think I've noticed, again, a small sample size, but uh, it still seems significant to me and the people I've talked to so far is that pretty much unanimously, there is something that they had in their lives that they could leverage and use to work towards this new thing, whatever it was going to be. And I think in your case, obviously, it was the writing on the site, right? So you have this thing, you want to quit your job and be around, well, maybe I can make this thing uh, my full-time gig. It sounds like that was your thought process. Like you, you knew first and foremost, you wanted to be around more. And then you looked around your life and thought, well, this is the most viable financial option. Is that kind of how your thought process was? Yes and no. It was, um, I mean, I really, it wasn't just going, Hey, here's a way to, to make some money and, and not have to put on pants every day. It was going, I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy building an audience. I really enjoy connecting with these people that are reading the site and the dialogue that happens and I want to build that. So it was, it was several things, but the, the family thing was sort of like the, like that was the, like in the article that you mentioned, like that was the jolt for me was going, we're going to have kids and I want to, I want to be a really, really great dad. And so that started me thinking, man, I also want to set an example for my kids and I want to be around more. And part of the example thing was going, I, I, I want to start this business. I want to take a leap. I want to go this crazy risk, see what happens. And if I fail, I fail, but at least I went for it. And then my kids, maybe one day they'll feel safe that, that they could go for it, that they could try a risk and, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but that doesn't even matter. Um, and so the, the blog was sort of like this, it was like this perfect storm of going, this is a huge asset that I have. I've been putting tons and tons of time into it. It was about four years. I've been doing it on the side for about four years at the time. And was selling some ads. So I was making you know a few hundred bucks a month plus a little bit of affiliate income. So I knew I could at least, I knew that the blog could make money. The question was how much and would it be enough? Um, and so then also what I did was with the membership stuff, um, I charge, you, you get billed for three months at a time. So you, you sign up and at the time I was charging $3 a month. And so, but people had to pay 12 bucks up front and then 90 days later it would renew. And the thought was, you know, a little bit less PayPal fees, a little bit less transaction fees, and I'm going to get 90 days worth of income right on the bat, you know? So people, you know, if they want to quit right after, you know, they want to just do one payment and then quit, well, I at least got it for 90 days um, instead of just one, you know, instead of 30 days. And so, you know, I mean, 12 bucks is like big whoop. Um, but that adds so up I, when you aggregate that across ideally thousands of people. It does. Exactly. And so I was able to, I go, if I can get enough people to sign up at least on the front end, 
then I'll have a 90 day like runway to do my 40 hours a week, putting that into the writing. And hopefully by the end of 90 days, the site will have grown enough that I'll be able to charge more for ads. Maybe I'll have a few more members. And then by the end of 90 days, when everything renews, I won't be completely broke. Like, so, you know, if I can get 90 day on ramp and that was kind of my hope. And, um, and what's interesting was I was, you know, expecting, um, you know, the membership to eventually dwindle down and, and, and sponsorships to take over. And it kind of went the other way around that, you know, here we are four and a half years later and the membership is still thriving. And, you know, and now the advertising is the whole race to the bottom. And so the membership is still actually one of the, the primary sources of income for Schumblank.net, um, you know, much more so than advertising, uh, which is really cool. I, I love that. I love that, that still my main job is making stuff that, that the people that read the site enjoy. And they're willing to fork over the money for because that says a lot. Yeah, it really does. I mean, people are are generally you know stingy when it comes to spending money. I mean, we've seen that with apps and the price of apps and how it's become harder and harder to charge something for that. But the fact that you can charge people the twelve dollars for the three months is um, it, that's pretty incredible. And I think it forms that direct connection you're talking about between you and ultimately the people that are your customers, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. And what what's cool is I feel like it's it's enabled us to, um, or at least it's, it's enabled me to do these other projects. Delight is in the details, and then the focus course, like these are direct to customer products that, like I you know I built from, you know the feedback that I was getting on the site and the stuff that I was writing, and and I have a, a podcast Sean today that I do, and you know the feedback from the listeners and doing this stuff, going okay, well let's you know, hey let's write a book about this, and hey let's build a, fo- a course about this, and. Um, it's, it's been really, really, uh, a lot of fun to do that. Sounds fun. I like this. This is, uh, this is pretty cool. Um, so one thing I'm, I'm thinking, you mentioned earlier that there are skills that you didn't necessarily realize that you would have to have that ended up being even more important than just the straight up writing, the stuff on the back end, the, uh, ideating, uh, the thinking, all that stuff. When did you start realizing how important those things were? Um, I, you know, I think it was, it's just been gradual over time. I've, um, you know, maybe in some ways it feels like yesterday I figured this stuff out. Um, I think a lot of it has just been, um, discovering the importance of, you know, like the relationship stuff. And I would go to conferences. So that one kind of like, I figured that out early on. Oh, if I go to WWDC, if I go to Macworld, if I go to these other design conferences, the other creative conferences, um, you get to meet the people that you write about all day long and you get to meet your, like I get, I got to connect with some of my sponsors and, and actually meet the people like these in, indie, you know, other companies that, that do stuff and, and the people that run those and meeting other writers. <clears throat> and now it's like, then you come home and you have this little network of people that you've got relationships with that you've met in real life. And so like that one for me early on was like, okay, yeah, this is huge. But then even more recently, like maybe in the last couple of years, uh, like, you know, the last 18 months to two years going, okay, regardless of whether I publish something or not, what's most important for me is that I sit down in the chair and I, I write every single day that I'm, I'm creating something every day and keeping that muscle strong. Um, because it just loves to just get lax even just over a couple of days. And so doing that and then, and then also just giving myself permission to say, Hey, if I spend the whole day writing, but don't actually publish anything today, that's okay. Because it's like, it really is the long game and I'm not going for, um, I don't want to publish it. We, we say this a lot over on the sweet setup that we're not trying to publish at the speed of the internet. 
And so we want the the reviews that we do, the articles that we put out to be uh, as evergreen as possible. And so if like something new and big, whatever happens, there is this, um, you know, you can get a lot of traffic, a lot of eyeballs by, uh, you know, the news cycle. And, oh, this came out. Come on, go, 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 write about that. Oh, this just happened. Go, 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 write about that. Um, but instead we're going, you know what? We just don't want to, to, to kill ourselves over the news cycle. There are a lot of other people that do that really, really well that thrive in that situation. And for me, I'm just like, I'm not cut out for that. I, I prefer the, the slow cycle. And so we write stuff that is as evergreen as possible. And then where we make up the traffic isn't in, you know, we don't see giant spikes every day when there's like a, a new product comes out and, you know, we're instantly right there to review it. We don't, we don't do that. But we write these articles that have, you know, massive relevancy, you know, long term that have a long shelf life. So everything's right on the homepage for the sweet setup. And then, you know, we uh, a bunch of our traffic is, you know, this behind the scenes, a lot of Google search, search ranking. And so we get a ton of traffic from Google uh, because we're writing stuff that people are searching for and, and things like that. So it's just a, di- a different model. So that's been a huge thing for me is, is learning to, you know, what's the way that I work best? What's the what's the rhythm that works best for me and, and allowing, you know, giving myself permission to do that as opposed to what I think I quote unquote should be doing. I think there's a lot to unpack in what you're saying and I, I totally get it and I can see where I've, I've maybe come to some similar insight in my own life. And I think you're getting at the force of habit and how much of a difference it can make to make better habits for yourself. And it sounds like what you're saying is that when you were writing, you just realized I just need to write. I need to write the results will come. The out, output is going to be there. But if I make sure that I'm I'm doing my writing and I'm doing my thinking and I'm doing all that stuff, good things will uh, ensue. It seems like you're saying, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Like for me, the writing is the, like that's the foundation of my entire, like everything that I do is based on, am I make, creating content every single day? And that applies to other things in life. Uh, I, I definitely want to get to the sweet setup and these other things because I think it's really interesting how you've expanded out from this bedrock of originally Sean Block, but you, uh, SeanBlock.net, sorry. Um, you write about writing or running, excuse me, in the, the jolt and how it was really easy for you to put it off and put it off and put it off because you wanted to do it the right way and you wanted to you know, follow a, a really specific plan and optimize and et cetera, et cetera. Well, similar to you, I started running maybe a year ago and I just started doing it. I did the exact same thing you did. I went to a running shoe store, I got fitted and I just started running and I still run and it's great. And it's, it makes me feel good. I went for a run today over lunch. It was awesome. And, uh, I see a lot of similarities between that type of thing with what you're talking about in your business. Yes. Huge. Right. It's the, um, that's kind of like, I mean, just to brag on my own focus course a little bit, but I, um, I basically, like, I, I call the focus course, it's like a couch to 5k, but for your life, because, you know, so Eric, I don't, if you're like, this sounds like you are, is like, I will just obsess over a decision to the point of never making a decision. And, and it's just like, Oh, what about this option? What about this option? And it's like, you just want it to be perfect. You want to do it exactly right on the very first step, the very first day, the very first thing you do, you want to make sure it's just right. And it's like, no, like screw that. Just go start. Right. And so for me, a lot of times it's going, okay, you know what? I'm going to defer. I'm going to defer to somebody else to make the decisions for me, which is why like having the couch to 5k app was, was huge. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go to the store. I'm going to walk around and you person tell me what sort of shoes I need, you know, for, for my gate and whatever. And then I would just buy whatever you tell me to buy and I'm going to get this cash to 5k app. I'm going to just 
start it. I'm just going to do what it tells me to do. Like literally you put in the earphones and you hit like go on the app and it goes walk for five minutes, you know, now run, now walk, now run, now walk. Right. (laughs) You just, okay. 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 And you just do it. Right. And you just follow the instructions. And, and so for me, like I just realized, wow, sometimes I need that. And, um, and sometimes I, I think it's just going, when you get that idea for something, and it just kind of strikes you. And sometimes like you have these ideas that don't let go. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, you probably come up with like 10,000 ideas every day before you even hit your desk. Um, and a lot of times, like, I, th- I think we can tell the difference between, oh, that was a neat idea. That was a neat idea. That was neat. And the one that goes like the one that just comes back like the next day and it comes back the next day, or it just like hits you and you go, huh, like that one, like, huh, that one has more to it. And it's just some of these other projects, I felt they were just like those ideas that just kind of hit and there was just more to them than all the other random ideas that I have throughout the day. And so sometimes it's going, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to go. I'm going to just going to hurry up and, and see how far I can get before I, I run out of steam on this. And, and then let's see what it looks like at that point. And then then you follow kind of the Apple strategy of, like, okay, now let's iterate, you know, and it's the the whole, like the original iPhone, remember? Like, no copy and paste. You couldn't select text, you know? I mean, we just think that, like, seriously, like, you couldn't, you couldn't copy and paste text, you know, if you wanted to go to a website and, you know, like, it's just whatever. And so, but there, we just kind of get this thing out the door and let's have what we do have be as good as possible. And then we'll, we'll improve on it from there. And as opposed to wanting to ship you know, the iPhone 6S, you know, eight years ago, like that never would have happened. They couldn't have done it. And you needed all those iterations. And, um, and so sometimes it's, it's just that thing of just getting started super hard though. It's really funny and kind of a little meta, but that's exactly what happened with this podcast because yeah. the idea stuck with me and I reached out to a bunch of people that I thought would be interesting and I waited. I thought, well, we'll see what happens. And I got responses from everyone saying, yes, sure, I'll talk to you. And thinking, okay, well, I guess now I actually have to make a go at this. And <laughs> yeah. it's basically gone exactly like you said so far. And I'm not worrying so much about making it perfect. I just realized that I like talking to interesting people. I think there's something to the idea of these big changes in life. And maybe we can encourage more people to take those risks if we get the stories out there from people who've done it. And that's kind of why we're doing this. So. Yeah, there's a lot, so much to unpack. But I do want to give you a chance to talk about some of these other things you mentioned, specifically the sweet setup and how did you jump on that? That that was obviously one of those ideas that stuck with you. How did you go from writing on the site? Because that was your first deviation from the model, right? Kind of. Well, my um, so I had Chomblock.net, and then I started that, and I started doing that full time in April 2011, and. November, August, September, somewhere in the fall of 2011, uh, I started another site called Tools and Toys, and that was. Sort oh, I totally of like, forgot about that one. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no. There's there's a lot of them. Sometimes I forget about them too, except not really. But whatever. So uh, so I started that one, and actually it, we were pregnant with um, with our, our first kids, and so um, I was just thinking crap, I need to make some more money. We're about to have a kid. Kids are expensive and, you know, insurance and all that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm now self-employed. So, you know, it's like everything was, you know, we paid for everything and, and, um, insurance is not cheap. And so, uh, 
so anyways, I was going, Hey, I, I really like, I got all sorts of cool gadgety stuff that wouldn't be cool if there was a whole site where I could just, you know, post links to all the cool stuff that, that I think is neat, whether I own it or I, I come across it and, and just think it's cool. Like, cause I like to geek out about this stuff. Wouldn't it be cool if I just had a site that linked to that stuff, but then also it would make a great excuse to, to point stuff to Amazon. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, similar with SeanBlock.net going, Hey, this is, this would be fun. I would really enjoy doing this. I think I could do it well. I think people would enjoy it. And it's going to be a viable business model, right? Kind of like we were talking about at the beginning with, with the bootstrapper mindset of going, okay, this is a cool idea, but can I also make some money doing it? Like it's it, obviously I'm not in it for the money, but I have plenty of ideas for how to spend my time. And I want to make sure I'm spending my time on the ones that are going to sustain me continuing to be able to spend my time on them. And so, uh, so tools and toys was an idea for that. And so I kind of like put it together over a weekend and, and started publishing it. And, um, so that kind of was going for a while. And then, uh, slowly as it grew, I was able to bring on some people to help, uh, write for it more frequently. And, and kind of then we really upped the game about a year ago and completely redesigned the site. Uh, and did some really awesome stuff there with, with Pat Dreiberg and um, it's gorgeous by the way. It's, it's a beautiful design. It really thank is. You. People yeah, should check I, it out. Tools and toys.net. Such a great, I love that site. Um, so then the sweet setup we started, uh, so then a year later, uh, I, well, no, 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 two years later. So, so 2013, um, we're actually, you know, I mean, <laughs> websites and kids apparently go, go hand in hand around here at the Blanc household. So we're, uh, getting ready to have, um, like our second kid and he was born, uh, in the fall of 2013. And, um, and so like right after he was born, I was like, I, I got this idea for another website because we're getting lots and lots of people just, you know, I, I wrote a lot, a lot of articles about software on Shambonk.net. That's kind of how I kind of, it was sort of my claim to fame in the early days. And I used to do these interviews called the the Sweet Mac Setup interviews. And I would just basically ask people like, hey, what's, you know, what's your desk look like? What's your your setup? And what kind of software do you use? What hardware do you use? Um, and, you know, I did these for a long time, for years and they were basically like, they were the most popular articles on my site by far. And everyone loved them. And I was like, you know, what would be cool is if I had a, if I just took all these articles and put them on another site and just kind of, I don't know why I like to categorize ideas instead of just, I was like, these are really cool. I should just have these in their own folder, you know, their own URL. Um, and so I was like, we can call it the suite setup and it would highlight people's gear. And then what else would be really great is if we could highlight uh, particular apps and basically not only here's what other people use, but here's what we specifically recommend for certain stuff. Cause you know, like all this time people are going, Hey, you know, what's the, Hey, I don't like the the default calendar on iOS seven anymore. It stinks. What's what, what should I use? What's the best one? Um, cause every time I would write a review of an app on my site, people go, well, is that the best, you know, Hey, I, you, you know, you wrote this review of this camera app. Is that the best one? Should I get that one? Are you saying it's better than this other one? Should I switch? Whatever. And it was like, man, that's like a, there's a lot of nuance that goes into answering those questions. And I was just trying to highlight stuff. And I was like, well, what if we had a whole site that was dedicated to basically like digging through the nuance of that and saying, here's the best app within this category, whatever. Um, and so, so obviously like that's kind of was the, the genesis of the suite setup. And then, um, so that came out in the fall of 2013, um, so I, I, I that's kind of how those sites came about. And that it's very much the wire cutter, wire cutter model, I think, of software. 
know, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Brian Lamb did. I, I, um, I love what they, they've done with wire cutter and the sweet home and that model. And so, yeah, we, we basically did like take a lot of inspiration from that, apply it to the idea of, of iPhone and, and Mac apps. Which is really nice because a lot of people don't want to spend hours and hours and hours finding the perfect whatever. So you're filling that niche and you're just telling people, hey, we, we've put in the time, we've put in the effort, so you don't have to. And that's, that's a great idea. And I think, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun too. Super helpful. And so uh, there's a clear connection, obviously, I think, from SeanBlanc.net all the way to the suite setup because these are all websites. It's all stuff that you were familiar with, all things you've done. Really, somewhat in your previous job, it was stuff you'd been familiar with, at least. You've been doing it for a long time. But then you write a book, right? Delight is in the details is what came next? Yeah, well, it, it came in between. Okay, it came so, in between. Sorry. Tools and Toys. And then so that, Tools and Toys was fall of 2011. Delight is in the details. The original one came out in the summer of 2012. Um, and then again, uh, I did like a big relaunch again later in... No, no, no. No, actually, I think you're right. Delight... Oh man, I don't even remember. Maybe Delight is in the details did come out in the summer of 2013. So right before the suite setup. So kind of in this in this ballpark at least. In the but ballpark. It, yeah. But it's definitely different. It's a very different thing than what you had done on on the web so far. How did you make the jump to doing this thing? Um it started well, it started as a uh so I was doing this podcast on seanbuck.net for the members that pay. It's called Sean a Day. And for a long time, it was five days a week, which um, is, is kind of now down to two days a week just because it was getting, after like four years, five days a week was a lot. A lot of people weren't listening every day. I was, you know, whatever. So anyways, um, but but during that time, I was going, hey, l- this week, let's do a series. Let's do one topic for the whole week. And it's going to be called, uh, you know, Delightful design details, I think was the title of the topic. Um, and it had come about by a friend of mine, Phil Kaufman, who's a designer down in Austin. Um, and he had posted this question on, on Twitter was basically going like, Hey, are, you know, you, you buy a cupcake and they put sprinkles on top. Are those sprinkles necessary? Because they don't necessarily change the flavor of the cupcake. They don't make it more delicious or less delicious. They just kind of look cool. They're sprinkles or they're, they're superfluous. Do you need them in, in, when you're doing a website, do you need quote unquote sprinkles in the, in the, the process? And my feedback was absolutely yes. Like that's what makes Apple Apple, right? Is it's these moments of delight in their products, you know, like Tweetbot, one of the best Twitter apps on the iPhone, you know, my opinion is the best. Um, and cause there's all these little delightful design details kind of sprinkled throughout it, right. That really give like this visceral, Little like, sounds, uh, little animations. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And I agree, it is the best by far of the Twitter apps that I've tried. And so my my whole thought was like, okay, you've got, you know, I mean, we're familiar with kind of like the law of the vital few, the, the 80-20 rule, right? Where 80% of a product that is is going to be completed with the first 20% of your time, but then the last 20% of that product is going to take the remaining 80% of your time to, to complete it. And some, a lot of people say, Hey, you know, good enough is good enough. And I'm going to stop at 80%, which is fine. But then I go, you know what, what about that 20% where you're, you're really sweating the details and you're putting in that that's where the vast majority of your time is going into, you know, injecting moments of delight. 
um, you know, really, you know, adding polish, thinking things through the whole user experience, the design, the feel, the, the, the copy that you're using and, and the text and the way you're communicating and your onboarding experience, all this stuff, whatever it is you're doing, you know, really making it something delightful. And, um, so kind of making a case for, yeah, you know what, it's worth it to sweat the details. Cause that's what makes a difference between something that's good and something that's great. Um, and so I kind of did this like little five part podcast series on that, that topic. And then a little later I was going, Hey, that was really great. I got a lot of positive feedback from the, the listeners of the show and I'll go, Hey, you know, maybe I could turn this into, um, like a for sale little podcast. And so it's kind of funny how it all happened. Basically like it's just such a snowball effect. Um, so I went back through, I listened to those five shows and I transcribed them to kind of get the, the gist of it. Cause I was going, Hey, I'm going to make this for sale, but I can't do it as a, I can't just take my Shauna day episodes. Cause I talk a lot about, you know, Hey, welcome to Shauna day. Da, da, da. So I, I this needs to be kind of like a standalone audio. So I need to re-record all the, all the audio, but I don't remember what I said. So I need to transcribe what I said so that I can have, you know, clearer show notes to, to re-record what I said. So as I'm transcribing, I go, well, hey, I could just turn this into like a five-chapter book as well. That's a little value add. So I got a five-chapter book and the audio that accompanies it. And then I had like all these other ideas for chapters that I wanted to write. So then I just kind of wrote like, I think I ended up writing like 14 chapters all together. And then I was like, well, instead of it being a podcast series for sale, I should just have it be an audio book. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do an audio book, I should like interview some people. <laughs> like the whole thing just snowballed um, into this, just, uh, you know, like a, a whole product um, that is, you know, delight us in the details. So it's this audio book and ebook, um, and then like an interview series. Um, but it turned out awesome. I love it. And I, I actually go back and reference the a lot of the work that I did in there. Um, frequently, because I, I had a lot of things that I said that I go back. I'm like, how did I say that? What did I say about you know setting the details or what was it? And um, so some really really cool stuff, and, and that's kind of how that happened. That's really funny to me that you definitely demonstrated the title of the whole project in the creation of the project because <laughs> I know right. It sounds like you uh, definitely sweated the details and and put your heart and soul into this thing and this whole package, and it seems like it turned out great. It and had to. I yeah, mean, you couldn't. Yeah. You could not do that because then everything you have to say is meaningless. Right. It's like if you go to a nutritionist's website and they misspell the word vitamin, you're like, uh, "Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else, please." And yeah, you know, so like if you're talking about sweating the details, it, you better do it in your own work. So yeah. <laughs> Are you doing okay on time still? I I think we're almost at an hour, but I did have a few more questions about then leading into the focus course. If you're doing okay. Yeah, 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 we're fine. Don't worry. Awesome. About it. Okay, cool. So, I, as hearing this whole thread of your career uh, post, you know, your big, big boy day job, 78 hours a week that you quit and left, this thread definitely to me from the outside seems to be tools. Uh, tools that get a job done. And the job isn't as important, I think. Uh, it's, it's a broad thing. It could be anything almost. And it, it seems like you've got narrower, narrower, and, and you're getting you're just refining this message of this is how you can create great stuff. You can do great work. That's kind of what I'm, I'm taking from this, everything we've talked about so far uh, from your, your Sean Blanc net writing that you've always done the reviews, all those things you had, of course, tools and toys is very much about tools and, and toys. And then the sweet setup. And then of course, delight is in the details. This all seems to culminate now in this new product that you launched this summer called the focus course. Is that accurate? This is a culmination of, of your work so far? I think so. I mean, I, I definitely 
I think that there's my culmination is such a like, you know, there's such finality to that. Yeah, term. sorry. That, that's probably not the best word. Maybe we can say it, it's the apotheosis of what you've done so far or something like that. Like it's it, everything that you've done so far has contributed to this new thing. Maybe absolutely. that's better. That's a, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're spot on like the, the concept of, I like the phrase doing our best creative work is it all to me. Yes. It all focuses on that. Like how we spend our time, the tools that we use, the relationships that we build, the the things that we choose to do, the things that we choose not to do, all of that. Um, it, it is like those are the foundational elements to ultimately, you know, producing work that matters to you and that matters to the people around you, and that contributes to something that's greater than yourself and contributes to something that you're proud of. That is something that you enjoy doing. That there's there's a job satisfaction uh, involved, and it culminates in something that that you know, changes your life and changes other people's lives. So yeah, for sure. The focus course is, is huge in that context. And it seems to me that this is, it's coming at a good point. Well, how should I put this? It's a good point maybe for people who are maybe having kids or they're kind of in that, like your career's off the ground now, you're maybe in your thirties. And I think a lot of people, they don't, they feel like they don't have time anymore. They don't have time to do the things that they would have done when they were younger. You know, I, yeah, I'd love to learn how to code, but who's got time for that? You know, whatever. And it seems to me, and I, I haven't done the focus course yet, but I, I'm feeling like I need to because uh, it seems to me that what you're addressing then is that exact problem, which is you've got a goal, you've got something that you feel like you want to do. This is how you can fit it into your life. It's that habit, it's that muscle. And maybe talk a little bit more about that, like what the focus course is designed to do in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. There, it. <sighs> It is definitely for that that use case for the that that person who's going. Yeah, like I need to I need to kind of recenter. I need to refocus. I need to readjust. I've got all these ideas. I got a whole bunch of spinning plates. I feel like I'm not getting progress on anything done. I need to to figure out like what am I going to cut out of my life? How am I going to to make time? How am I going to make space? And then once I do make time, I do make space. What am I going to fill it with? How am I going to spend that time? How am I going to spend my energy? Um, so the, like I said earlier, like it is kind of this couch to 5k for your whole life where basically I say, okay, if, you know, if you're like me, you're, you're going to just think all these things. Oh my gosh, I need, I need to get my health in order. I need to get my money in order. I'm not happy at my job. I'm, you know, my boss doesn't recognize my talents. You know, I need to, to reconsider my career path and, um, you know, my, my family, how am I going to spend time with my family? I'm always thinking about email when I'm with my kids. And, uh, you know, what I want to do, like, I want to be doing some personal study and I want to be learning and, and developing my, my own, uh, personal interests and my hobbies and others, oh, these other things I want to do. I want to go on vacation and gosh, you know, I really love this show on Netflix and I want to watch that, you know, where do I start? You've got all these areas of your life and, and you're just going like completely overwhelmed. Right. And you are just thinking about one of them, let alone in the focus course, we, we kind of break it down. You got six areas of your life, you got your personal inner life. Yeah, your physical health, your your relationships, your job, your money, and then your your rest and your recreation. Kind of these are like the six areas. And so when you look at that, you're just going, man, I see the changes that I need to make in all of those areas. And even just one of them is overwhelming, let alone six. And and so like you just get that decision paralysis, right? Where it's like the toothpaste conundrum. You go to Target to buy some toothpaste and you're like, are you kidding me? There's like five aisles of toothpaste here. I don't know which one to get. Like, forget it. I'm going home with no toothpaste. And so, so often when we're faced with lots and lots of choices, we, we default to making none. 
And, you know, Eric, like we were talking about earlier with the, with running and it's just going, you know what, just go get the shoes, get the 5k app, put in your earplugs and just go for a run. Um, and so that's what I tried to do with the focus course was it originally was going to be this book and I actually wrote it. It was called the power of focus life and it was 17,000 words. I had the whole first draft done. Um, and this was literally, um, just about a year ago that I wrapped it up. It was right around, uh, the end of the year, 2014. And so I wrote this book and, um, then I go, okay, there was everything that I had. Cause I actually used to teach about a lot of this stuff with time management, um, you know, most important tasks, goals, action plans, stuff like that. Right. I used to teach that at the church that I was a part of, especially when I had, you know, like a marketing department, we had 17 staff. Um, and so I would teach people like, Hey, here's how to manage your time so you can spend it wisely and stuff like that. So I took a lot of that, put it into a book and then I go, okay, now I'm going to go read all these other books that are along this topic and basically see what are the gaps that I need to fill in with what I have done. Like, obviously I know, I don't know everything in this context. I'm going to read some of these other stuff. And so I bought a bunch of just kind of the, like the most popular, most influential, like meat and potatoes, foundational books that you can find regarding goal setting and, you know, urgent versus important and getting in the zone and personal integrity and, you know, finances and health and all this stuff. Right. So I just got like 50, 60 books from Amazon and I just read and read and read for months. And what's interesting, like I'm reading these books and I'm, you get to the end of like the chapter and they go, and here's the action items for this chapter that will help you to incorporate it into your life. And you're like, okay, that's neat. Chapter two, here I go. I'm right. And so I'm like highlighting and reading. I'm not doing any of the action items. And then even when I'm done highlighting it, like I just put the book back on the shelf and then we we'll just get the next book and wasn't like, wasn't making any changes to my life. And it just like struck me one day. I was like, man, I am, I'm, I'm writing a book just like these ones. Like the book that I have written is going to just go on the shelf, like every other book and someone's going to read it. Maybe they'll highlight it. They'll look at the action items at the end of the chapter and they'll just go on to the next chapter. And I was like, I don't want that. I, I, it, it, and a, I don't want that for my product, but B like that's not affecting change. I want to actually, I want people to actually get this stuff and be able to incorporate it into their life and actually have like having, you know, read my book, I was like, I want them to come out on the other side with some momentum. They're actually moving. They've, they've got clarity about stuff and it's actually going somewhere. Um, as opposed to just reading it and being like, that was cool. Now I have a neat idea that I can tweet and back to Netflix. And so, um, so basically I took the whole, I ripped everything apart, flipped it all upside down. And instead of it being a bunch of ideas with action items at the end of the chapter, Instead, it's all action items. So it's 40 days and you got 40 like micro assignments. Um, and it's all about like, like, you know, you were saying it's, it's helping you to get clarity to bring about basically doing your best creative work. Um, and then all the, like the ideas, the science behind it, like all of that supporting, um, all the supporting arguments for each action item then go underneath. So you can just do the action item. And then keep going. And there's like a little succinct, you know, this is why do this. Here's why it's valuable. Here's what you're trying to learn. And then like a whole bunch of additional teaching if you want to like really go deep with it. That is really cool. And it seems like it's totally focused on developing the habits that people need to sustain change. The, the things that are so tough, like you said, reading one book or whatever, it's not enough. It's not enough to change deeply ingrained habits of procrastination and delay and all the other, you know, you got so many things that you could spend your time on. 
you need to get out of the habit of spending your time on those things. I'm, I'm assuming is kind of what you're trying to achieve with this. Yes and no. And, you know, obviously, like I make some arguments going, you know, if you're watching five hours of television a day, which is what the average American does, and you're wishing that you could write a book or start a podcast or have this other thing, but you're going, where am I going to find the time? Well, you know, if you're watching five hours of TV, that I could, I could show you where you can find some time. So it's, so that obviously there's a little bit of that in the course, but it's more about just having awareness of, I think a lot of us don't even realize we're watching five hours of television a day. It's just part of our routine. We just come home. It's the end of our, our work day. We're, we're pooped. I'm going to sit down on the couch and just chill because man, you know, I put in a hard day of work and I deserve it. And, and so finding intentionality maybe would be a way to put it. Yes. Finding intentionality and then like making intentional decisions about how you want to spend your time. Um, and so a lot of people go, well, Hey, you know, if you want to, if you want to be a millionaire, you know, you got to give up everything that's important right now. And, you know, don't spend that $20 on that date because that $20 today is going to be worth $10 million next week if you wouldn't spend it right now, but you spent it. So now you're gonna be poor. And, and so it's this whole idea of like, basically like deferred gratification. Um, and you know, saying if you want to get your goals, you gotta, you gotta basically live miserably now so that you can finally live happy later. And it's like, well, Hey, there's no guarantee that you're actually going to reach your goals. And, um, what's the point of living miserable now? Like you're just going to develop like these, you're just going to be miserable, right? Like there's no quality of life. And, and so the whole premise is like, well, why not both? Why not know where it is that you're trying to go? Like have these goals, like this vision for where you're headed with your health, with your, your personal life, your inner personal life, with your relationships. Like how many people have a, um, actually like an action plan for their marriage? You know, I, I don't know how many, but it's like, that's going, Hey, think about this. Is your marriage an important relationship? Are your, you know, is your relationship with your kids important? If so, what are you doing? Like, how are you intentionally cultivating a deep relationship with your kids and how are you going to raise them? So when they leave the house, they're making really good decisions. Um, and so anyways, all these things. So it kind of goes figuring out like, what's your vision? What are your goals for these areas of your life? And then how can you break that down into, you know, Eric, like you're saying, something that's a, that's a routine part of your day-to-day lifestyle that you're doing that not only do you enjoy to do, but also is moving you along this path that's going to make, you know, move the needle forward a little bit towards your goals. And so it kind of helps you figure out a lot of that stuff. And obviously like, yeah, you got to make changes and it, it usually stinks at first. Like making change is hard, even when it's for the better. Um, and, and it's just a lot of people just dislike transition. Um, and so obviously like on the front end, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging, but then you get into something or now you look forward to it. And, you know, Eric, like, you know, you're going, Hey, I went for a run. It felt great. I, I, I enjoyed it. A lot of people are going, are you kidding? Like I hate, hate, hate running. <coughs> and so, uh, excuse me, which is how I felt <laughs> before I started writing uh, running. <laughs> I hated it. Exactly. And that activation energy and over time, you begin to like, it becomes part of your routine and you actually look forward to it. And you're like, this is great. Like you get that runner's high or whatever. And what seems so bizarre or obtuse or like so terrible, like when it becomes part of your day-to-day lifestyle, um, you, you begin looking forward to it the same way that right now, when you come home from you know work and you, you look forward to watching five hours of TV and just vegging out on the couch. But then afterwards you're like, oh man, I really wanted to, you know, like write a, a, a blog post for this site that I'm trying to build. Well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And you have another hard day at work and you come home, you watch another five hours of TV and, and whatever. And you, you have this momentum towards television. 
And it's going like, how about you try to swing that momentum towards something that you want to do? And maybe if you want to watch five hours of TV, like, okay, just, just admit it and, and, and have that honesty that that's how you want to spend your time. And that's how you are spending your time. And that you're choosing that over this other thing, this blog post or this podcast or whatever other project. Yeah, totally. Exactly. But that's, I think when it gets probably really real for people, when they actually admit to themselves, this is a, this is a choice I'm making by choosing not to choose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Incredible, incredibly powerful ideas that we're talking about. And the focus course, it sounds fantastic. Um, has the response been pretty good so far? It has. It's been, um, I mean, just to be, to be candid, it's been f- far better than what I was expecting in terms of the, the actual sentiment of the people that are going through it and have gone through it, um, as well as just the, the amount of people that have signed up for it. Um, I was hoping to sell uh, like 15 copies of the course. I, I priced it, you know, it's 250 bucks. And I just felt like, oh man, like no one's going to sign up for this. But at the same time, I, I felt like, I needed to to make the statement about the value of the course that like what's inside is extremely valuable and it's not a you know it's not a nineteen dollar it's not some nineteen dollar book it's it's a it's a really really powerful course with a lot a lot of um, you know it's just the whole structure of it the teaching the training like it's seventy five thousand words worth of content inside and so there's a lot that goes with it um, and we're getting ready to go back in it's forty days long and. And right now there's like a module or there's a video that goes with each module, but not a video for each day. Um, you know, like, you know, just getting, I just had to get it out the door. So I'm in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going in and, and doing 40 more videos so that there'll be a video that goes with every single day. So you got video plus te- whatever. Anyways. So the, the response, basically I was, I was nervous that no one was going to buy it. Um, but I wanted to keep the price at a, at a higher price point just cause I felt like, I wanted there to be skin in the game. Like if you're going to do this, like let like let's do it. And and I felt like 250 bucks was a, a a fair enough price to ask that people would appreciate the contents of the course and and start off with a little bit of motivation to go for it because it's not easy. Like it starts out easy. The first week's really fun, like super awesome, and then it starts getting a little bit more challenging, a little bit more challenging, a little bit more challenging. Kind of kind of grades into it. Um. And so, you know, if you've invested a few hundred bucks into it, like hopefully you'll have the motivation to, to stick it through and, and make it all the way through the 40 days. Oh, for sure. Pricing definitely communicates a lot about uh, the expected value that somebody's going to re- expect out of it. So, yeah, for sure. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time. I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to talk with me. I think there's a lot from your career that is really interesting. And I think people will find the, your story fascinating. Did you have anything, any closing thoughts? I mean, given that you, where you started and where you are today, uh, given the theme of the show? I think, um, I don't know, closing thoughts. I know, sorry, totally putting <laughs> you on the spot, but uh, I, I realize I could probably ask you questions for another hour and we don't want to do that. So <laughs> I'll give I had you an hour. someone ask me recently, what would be like, if you had to boil down like, um, you know, advice to, to writers or advice to entrepreneurs um, in terms of, you know, like, like productivity advice or something like that. How, well, you know, what would be your, like your number one thing, like what's the thing that's going to have disproportionate results for the amount of energy that they, that they put in? Um, which I thought was a really, really great question. And, and so I've kind of been thinking a lot about that, uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks since I was asked that question and I kind of have been telling it to myself going, Hey, this is, this is it. And it's basically, it's this idea of, um, like knowing what your most important, uh, task is for the day. And I know like we, like, that's a buzzword, you know, your MIT, uh, whatever your most important task. It's such a buzzword, but yet at the same time going, 
actually it's really, really critical. Like what's that, what's that one thing that you can do every single day that's going to move the needle forward in an area of your life that is, is very, very important to you. And so for me, uh, you know, it's, it's the writing it's, it's, it's going, if I don't sit down in the chair and write every single day, then I'm going to start losing ground. And so knowing that my most important task is writing. And then, so it's like, a knowing what that task is, like, what's that, that category, um, is, is one side of the coin. And then on the other side of the coin, it's going, what can I do to make that as easy as possible as, to, 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 to get in and to do it? Because usually your most important task is going to be your most challenging, most difficult. I don't want to do it. I'm going to avoid it. Right. Like if you've ever read Steven Pressfield stuff, it's like, that's the resistance. Like if you want to watch TV all day, no one's going to bother you. But if you want to do something meaningful, you want to start a nonprofit organization, you want to, uh, you know, write an article that's going to help people to make better decisions with their life. You want to counsel someone with, you know, how to spend their money better. You want to do marriage counseling. You want to do something meaningful. Like you're just going to hit the resistance. And so like with this most important task, when you know what that is, you're like, this is going to be hard to get there and to do it every single day. And so what can you do today that's going to make it a little bit easier for you tomorrow to do that one thing? I think that's really good advice. So thank you for sharing everything you've shared with me today. It's a great story. People can find you at seanblanc.net, thefocuscourse.com. They can get links to all your stuff at seanblanc.net. Yeah, it's uh, all there. And you're uh, on Twitter at seanblanc. And uh, people should definitely follow you. You have a lot of interesting stuff going on. And I hope that you will continue creating great stuff on the internet and putting uh, all the care and attention that you've put into your stuff so far. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for your time, Sean. 